We are continuing with Esther chapter 6. If you don't know, our church has been walking chapter by chapter through this amazing book of the Bible. If you would like to follow along with us, go to Esther, and you can be part of our reading plan. Yeah. It's awesome. There's even a so private cool. Facebook group with discussion. And so we're going to pick up with chapter 6 to catch us up. Esther has been made queen. She's secretly Jewish. And then she's placed in a position where she finds out that the king is about to kill all the Jewish people in the land. So she approaches him at risk of her own death and says, hey, can we have a banquet? And then she decides to throw a second banquet before asking for the king to save her people. And something really interesting happens before that second banquet. Let's watch in chapter six, verse one. It says, that night the king could not sleep. So he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the records of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. So this is one of those nights where the king cannot sleep. Have you ever had a night like that where you just can't sleep? I know I've been there. And, and what do you do? If you're like me, sometimes when you're really tired and you're super holy, what do you do? You read the Bible. You grab the book of Leviticus, you're like, ah, yeah. man, I'm just going to read something so boring, and I'm going to read it until I fall asleep. That's not how you think, right? You love the Bible. No, I'm just kidding. And so uh, let's look at this meme. This is kind of an example of something maybe you've experienced. I can't sleep. Might as well read some scripture. Opens Bible. There is no rest for the wicked. Closes Bible. <laughs> How about this? When you're thinking about going to sleep, but now you can't sleep because you're thinking too much about going to sleep. Oh, and there. I hate that. And this one, me at 11 p.m., me at 2 a.m., me at 4 a.m., me five minutes before my alarm. The sleep right before your alarm goes off, that's the sweetest sleep. It's like magnified and it's so fleeting. Yeah. I know what it's like not to be able to have sleep. And this is exactly what happens to King Xerxes. So he opens up the book of Chronicles and he reads something really interesting. It says in verse two, it was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? The king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. So King Xerxes, right here in the scripture, he discovers that Mordecai had saved his life from assassination and he had done nothing to reward Mordecai at all, nothing to honor him. And this is wild. Have you ever felt like you've done everything right, but still things don't look right in your life? Mm that, ah, oh, I've performed well, I've done what I'm supposed to do, but nice guys finish last. Mm. So why even bother? I can imagine Mordecai felt like this very, very strongly. Hey, I'm a good servant of the king. I've saved his life. I've protected him. And what do I get for all of this? What is my reward? The king signs a decree to have me and my family killed through genocide. That's the reward? I should have just let the king die. Like, why did I even protect him? Why am I doing everything right? Why am I serving so faithfully? What is my reward? My reward is that I have to die. My daughter Esther has to die. All of our Jewish people have to die. What's the point of serving so faithfully? Have you ever done that in your heart? Have you ever felt that way in your mind? I've done everything right, but nothing looks right. 
in our own lives, I know I've felt that way a lot. Like, what's the point of being good? What's the point of being faithful and true? Maybe in your, your job, you feel like you've performed really, really well. You've done things that nobody notices, but you do it just because you really want to be a good person at your work, yet the other person gets the promotion. You're like, what was the point of that hard work? Or why, why does she give him all the attention when I'm the one who actually cares about her? I know her feelings. I'm actually there when she needs it, but all of the attention goes to him. What's the point of even being a good person? Why does it feel like I'm punished for doing good? Like I'm a good parent, I'm focusing on my kids, but it just seems like nothing seems to take. Nothing is working, so I might as well just give up. I'm doing what's right, but nothing looks right in my life. Do you ever feel that way? And I, I feel like in these times, it's important for us to find some encouragement as we're focusing on these thoughts and these feelings. And even as a pastor, even as pastors, we can relate to these feelings. Mm -hmm. So I want to share some things that, that encourage me when I'm experiencing feelings and thoughts like this. The first one I, sh I want to share is this. Number one, you can believe in God without understanding God. Mm -hmm. You can believe in God without understanding God. You know, when it comes to believing God and experiencing times like this, not everything in our life becomes perfect just because we prayed a prayer of salvation. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we believe I'm a Christian now, so everything is going to line up in order in my life. I'm never going to experience pain or suffering because I'm a Christian. Well, that's not the reality. Even as I look at various people throughout the scriptures and look at the scripture itself, we see very real feelings and emotions and thoughts of wonder found in people in the Bible. Like in Job 21, the scripture says this, why do the wicked live and become old? Yes, become mighty in power. Their descendants are established with them in their sight and their offspring before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear. Neither is the rod of God upon them. You ever feel like that? Everybody who's doing wicked things they're flourishing. Meanwhile, it feels like I'm getting none of that. In Psalm 73, a real honest writing here. Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. All in vain I've kept my heart clean. I feel like sometimes I do so many things to make sure my heart is in the right place, that my heart is clean, my hands are innocent, but it feels like there's no fruit for any of that. So might as well give up. And these are words from people who believed in God, who had a relationship with God, but didn't understand what God was doing. Didn't understand why God wasn't doing the things that they wanted. And I just want to be honest, in our faith, in our Christian faith, there is room for mystery. We can believe in God without understanding all that God is doing. In our life, starting a, a church felt like we were following the will of God. We were following a plan for our lives, fulfilling our purpose. Lord, we're willing to go where you send us. And so we sold everything pretty much. We got in a car and we drove to Washington from Michigan. We thought, Lord, we want to advance your kingdom. But in that first year of church planning, as things went well with the church, it felt like the reward for us following God was personal suffering in our family. 
within that first year of church planning, you know, Pastor Amrita's father suddenly passed away. My sister was on what seemed to be a deathbed in India as she experienced dengue fever and she went blind. Eventually she recovered, but in that moment, we didn't understand what was going on. Everybody pretty much in my family experienced a divorce. It was just it was just so, so painful during that experience. My, my stepdad got diagnosed with cancer and eventually passed away. And then in that, that time, my son, our son was diagnosed with autism. And we're like, Lord, is this the reward for following you? Like we gave up everything to plant this church. And in our personal life, it feels like the more that the church flourishes, the more that our family is attacked and like, Lord, this this isn't good. This isn't what we want. Like, what's the point of this? And it's in these times, like, I relate to these authors in the Bible. I relate to these Psalms where we can pray real prayers. And I, I just encourage myself with, with these words when I'm experiencing those feelings and I'm thinking about some of the things that, that we're going through. It's this, that faith, to have a, a faith relationship with God, faith requires having questions. If you had all the answers, you wouldn't need faith. You wouldn't have mystery. And so I'm encouraged that when I have questions, I am a person of faith. And that faith requires having questions. Lord, even in the mystery, even when I don't know what's happening, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep following you in this journey of faith. Somehow in those times, that's encouraging to me. And I hope it's encouraging to you as well. Point number two, some things that I, I say to myself and some points that help me in these times and some lessons I'm learning from the book of Esther. Number two is this, God's silence does not equal God's absence. You know, throughout the, the book of Esther, we see God's name is not mentioned once. There's not really a lot of talk about temple worship. We don't see them really even talking about the law of God. God is, God is pretty much absent as far as like the tangible proof of God in the book of Esther. In fact, early theologians said, hey, I don't know if you should preach through the book of Esther because theologically, it's kind of weird that God's not mentioned in here at all. But we actually see that even though God isn't like tangibly mentioned in the book of Esther, his fingerprints are all through it in the form of what some people might call coincidence. Let's read this again. That night, the king had trouble sleeping, so he ordered an attendant to bring the book of the history of his reign so it could be read to him. In those records, he discovered an account of how Mordecai had exposed the plot of Bigthan and Teresh, two of the eunuchs who guarded the door uh, to the king's private quarters. They had plotted to assassinate King Xerxes. What reward or recognition did we ever give Mordecai for this, the king asked. His attendants replied, nothing has been done for him. And so catching up again, we see what seems to be coincidences threaded throughout the entire story of Esther. Esther just happened to be made queen. Esther just happened to ask for a banquet and then another banquet. Instead of directly asking to save her people, she planned a series of banquets. And in between those banquets, the king just happened to have a hard night of sleep or sleep escaped him. And he just happened to ask people to open up this book of Chronicles. And then the page they just happened to, you know, stumble upon was this record where Mordecai just happened to not be rewarded for saving the king's life. So we see a thread of what appeared to be coincidence, but I don't believe it was coincidence. I believe that God was working in the background 
to influence what was happening in the foreground. Mm. We see this all throughout the story. You know, Albert Einstein would say that this was coincidence. And he says, coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. Mm. But I don't believe that this was just a coincidence. I believe that God is working in our midst, even when we don't recognize him. The theological term for this is God's providence. What is that? God's faithful activity throughout history to provide for his creation and accomplish his will. You know, God wants to provide for us. God wants to take care of us, even when it's not obvious. Mm. Even when we don't understand what is going on, God, why aren't you doing anything? You know, it's easy for us to see the bigger picture of Esther and say, oh, wow, God was really working. But when you're in that story, when you're in that moment, when you consider Esther had been queen for years, that Haman had been plotting for years to kill all of the Jewish people, you if you were in that situation, you'd be like, God, I'm giving up. God, you've abandoned us. Now that we can read the whole picture, we can see that, no, God was setting things up. God was setting up a story of redemption. And we see right here in the scripture, Esther, she, she approaches the king. He raises the golden scepter. He, she's able to talk to him in these series of banquets, and everything starts to shift in a moment. Within a 24-hour period, it seems like all these years of setup have been reversed and redeemed. And it feels like actually where we were giving into despair in a moment of shift, suddenly we have hope. And I believe that for us, as we're wondering, as we're in the waiting, things in just a matter of a 24 hour period could shift for us as believers in Jesus, trusting that he wants to take care of his creation. We believe that things can turn around. Yeah. And we really believe in redeeming the way our mind thinks and, and redeeming some of our perspective and having an attitude that reflects our faith in Jesus. And, and so might I just be bold enough to say we need to redeem some language and just say, hey, maybe things are turning into a shift show for you. Maybe your moment of shift is coming maybe shift is about to hit the fan can we be bold enough to say that is that appropriate honestly language is important shift is about to hit the fan we can experience shift in a 24 hour period instead of saying these doom and gloom statements over us instead of saying the other shoe is about to drop maybe we say shift is coming yeah shift is coming For people who place their trust in God, we can believe that shift is coming as we place our hope in Jesus. And so we see all these kind of God coincidences, the providence of God in the story of Esther, where everything in a moment starts to turn around for Mordecai, who goes from believing, hey, we're about to be killed, all of our people, the king is about to kill all of us, but now the king wants to honor honor me for things that happened in the Mm. background. And in this story, we see that the king can't sleep. And we might have these moments of restlessness, but we believe and understand that while we can't sleep, God is working. When we can't find rest, God is working mm-hmm. in the background, mm-hmm. even when we don't recognize it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this there's this worship song called Waymaker. And mm-hmm. I, I like the lyric. It mm-hmm. goes like, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. You never stop. 
You never stop working. You never stop. Nice. I like that. But then it goes on to go Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness. My God, that is who you are. Mm. And I, I just think that's so powerful. Yeah. And this song has been in my heart, even as I experience some of those fears and doubts and pains that I explained earlier in the sermon when it comes to our family life as we pursue the will of God. And so I just want to, to stand and believe that shift could be coming for us. You know, sometimes like when people throw a surprise birthday party, you don't want to ruin the surprise for someone who's about to be celebrated. So what do you do? You treat that person like a bad friend. <laughs> you know, you, you kind of ignore their texts. You don't talk to them. You pretend like nothing is going to be done for them. Why? Because you don't want to ruin the surprise mm -hmm. because you're setting them up for something better than they are probably even imagining. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I feel like we, we treat God like he's thrown us a surprise party. We're like, God, why are you treating us like a bad friend? Mm -hmm. Like, why aren't you giving me the attention? This is my special day. You're not giving me what I deserve. And God's like, oh, if only you knew what I was planning for you. Yeah. I'm giving you something even better than a surprise birthday party. I'm setting you up for a life-changing shift. Yeah. And so God's silence does not equal God's absence. Amen. Amen. And point number three, something that encourages me is this. I may not understand now, but someday I will. Mm. You know, looking now, we can see how things turn around for Mordecai. In the last chapters, he's just, he's kind of, he's kind of praying that he just wouldn't die. But now the king is setting him up to be honored throughout the streets by the hands of his enemy. This is wild. Let's read about it. When Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? So he answered the king. For the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn and a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe and horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Go at once, the king commanded Haman, get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gates. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. So Haman got the robe and the horse. He robed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. And so Mordecai is honored by the man who plotted to kill him. And while Haman plots to kill him, God in the background is setting him up for honor. Mm. Mordecai could trust God. Mordecai could trust that God was going to take care of him. And it's easy to say that in hindsight, much harder to do in the moment. But I want to say for all of us, we can believe that God wants to to, to exalt us, to have us experience life and life abundantly. Even when things don't look like they're working out, we can choose to trust in God. And I know that's kind of annoying to hear when you're in a moment. I, I, totally, I totally get that. But the fact is we can trust God. Yeah. We can trust God. In John 13, 7, Jesus says this. Jesus replied, you don't have to understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. Someday you will. I mean, we experienced that in surprise parties. I mean, just the other week, 
I, I wanted to take Pastor Amritha to a restaurant. And I said, I, I don't want to tell you what restaurant this is. And we only splurge a couple times to go to fancy restaurants. She's like, I want to be part of the process. Let me know where we're going. I want to make plans. I, and I'm saying, I don't want to tell you because it's going to be even better if I don't tell you. And we drove up to this restaurant and right here on the east side, a brand new Sri Lankan restaurant mm. opened up on the east side. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Shandahova. Lord, <laughs> we love you. And it was so delicious. And I go, wasn't the surprise worth it? Mm -hmm. Wasn't even better that I didn't tell you. Mm -hmm. I said, I wanted to see your face mm -hmm. when it was finally revealed. And I believe that God is setting us up for something amazing, something even beyond what we could ask or imagine, something better than we can think of. And, and, and I believe what God, this is kind of a bold statement, but I believe what God has in store for us who trust him is even better than an amazing Sri Lankan restaurant. Can I say that? I totally do. Romans 8, 28 says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Second Corinthians says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And so when we're going through hard times, let's focus and fix our eyes on Jesus. Amen. We don't have to understand God to believe in God. And God's silence does not mean God isn't with us. He's not absent and we may not understand now but someday we soon will and these statements that i'm finding in the book of esther they just encourage me deeply and so i just want to challenge you this week would you again place your trust in jesus even if you need to sometime this week put on that song that that i was singing so beautifully earlier get Waymaker. put it on youtube sing that over your situation Sing that over your circumstance. Yeah. Sing that over your doubt and just believe that with God, our moment of shift is coming. Amen. And these temporary troubles are nothing compared to our eternal delights in Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word. And I pray that these words wouldn't just be cliche statements, that we would be able to truly put our trust in you. When things are, are hard, when it, it feels like the nice guy is finishing last, when it seems like our, our hard work is all in vain, that when we try to do good and we try to do things right and things don't look right, Lord, I pray that we would be able to trust in your providence, that even when we don't see you in the foreground, we trust that you're working in the background. So Lord, we give you every situation. And Lord, even right now, we say we trust you. We love you and we place our entire hope in your hands, we pray. In the name of Jesus. And everybody say, Amen. 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 And amen.